Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Good morning, everyone. 
This is Prison Focus Radio, and I'm your host, Nube Brown. I want to thank you for joining me this morning. I want to thank you, actually, for joining me um, all year long. This has been quite a year, um, just fraught with so much anxiety, intensity. Uh, I can't even think of so many of the words, but I also think it's been a call for us to fight for our humanity and to remember that we have been doing this together. This forced isolation uh, and new ways of figuring out how to be together, yet be safe, um, care for one another, uh, try to understand that, again, we are all going through this together and really what that means and what we have in common in, in terms of our, our capacity to love and, again, see what our common fight is. And maybe we don't want to use the word fight because it sounds aggressive, but we have to be committed and work hard for our humanity, for the human rights, dignity, and respect that we all deserve. And we have been assaulted by uh, everything that COVID has uncovered around white pathology, uh, the ideological aspects of white ideology, colonialization, you know, colonizing and uh, racism and how we've all been assaulted by these, these things and the, the rise of, of a common, again, that common fight for our humanity. So we have been doing this together. I want to give a shout out to all of our loved ones, friends, community members behind the walls and their families. So one of the things that has showed up is everyday people, family members are speaking up around um, for their loved ones inside like never before. Let's continue with that. So I want to just tell you I love you and we are going to get started. I do want to... Unfortunately, I am going to give a few pieces of news from the Equal Justice Initiative calendar. Um, So on the day that I am recording this, which is um, December 29th, in 1900, Harvard professor Albert Bushnell Hart tells American Historical Association in in Detroit, Michigan, that states where lynchings are prevalent should legalize lynching to maintain order. On Wednesday, December 30th in 1890, this week, the U.S. Army massacres as many as 300 Lakota men, women, and children near Wounded Knee Creek on Lakota Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, South Dakota. And then on the day that this show is airing, which is December 31st, in 1952, for the first time since 1881, a full year passes with no reports of any lynchings in the U.S. 
All right, beautiful people, we have got to bring the love. We have been experiencing this trauma for far too long. We need to look to each other. We need to come together in humanity, Ubuntu. And with that said, look, these this is the last day to contribute to KPOO's uh, fund, uh, winter fundraiser. So please make your donations. Let's get KPOO to $75,000 or more. Let's keep this going. This is that community effort. This is coming together, looking to each other to see how we build each other up. Okay? So send in your donations to KPOO PO Box 156650 San Francisco, California 94115 or you can donate online at KPOO.com. Do it, big or small. In the name of love, it all works. And we are going to have, look, we can, we can do this if we do it together. Um, we are all experiencing pain and confusion and anger, but we can also experience joy and enlightenment and stay visionary. We are going to have a good show today. We are, I'm going to be starting with some uh, reading some letters. We are going to hear from family members. We are going to hear from folks on the inside. And uh, so just stay with me. And here we go. All right. I'm going to read a letter that was written to me uh, by Dr. Larry James Tyler. It's just very hopeful and thoughtful and forward thinking and really uh, just flies in the face of what uh, the stigma that's usually attached to people that have been um, arrested, imprisoned, uh, jailed, and um, just who they they really are inside. And many of these people should not have been um, arrested in the first place and should not be imprisoned and are innocent. So here it is. Two issues I ask you to consider for many future articles in your paper. One, reviews from the book The Wretched of the Earth by Franz Fanon. He is the century's most compelling theorist of racism and colonialism. The writing of Malcolm X and Eldridge Cleaver or Amira Baraki or the Black Panther leaders reveals how profoundly they have been moved by the thoughts of Franz Fanon. I find to be the Einstein, the, sorry, the Einstein of explaining racism and capitalism. He actually predicted a time like this would come on the world's seen when the masses would have an opportunity for, quote, the last shall be first, unquote. If you recall Gilligan's Island sitcom, there were people from the two different classes of people, the rich and the poor. Thurston Howell and his wife, Lovey, represented the rich autocrats. One percenters and the others, Gilligan, Ginger, Professor Marianne, and Skipper, represented the poor. Landing on the island, the coronavirus, put both parties on the same level. Thurston had no power or authority over the others because the island took that away from him. And because he was outnumbered, he had to go along with whatever the masses wanted. Corona has killed capitalism, for now. So this is the masses' golden opportunity to be first. As long as capitalism can't produce the colonizers, the Trump gang, 10,000 families that own 99% of the wealth, have no power over the masses. So our, quote, Gilligan's Island, Corona, unquote, is here now. Am I the only one that has seen this? I know you've no time to reply. I'm not looking for one. 
just want you to be aware of what an opportunity this is to enact some equal distribution of wealth and opportunity for people of color. Number two, next is a book you must read, The Tipping Point, by Malcolm Gladwell. He speaks of social epidemic in a positive effect, how a small change can make huge differences, as a little bit of salt to a dish can make a tremendous difference in how appealing that dish will taste. He tells of how the chief of police in New York City made a few minor changes, took all graffiti off subway cars and the subways, arrests all turnstile jumpers and arrests ones who urinated on walls and trashed the streets. This in turn cut the crime rate in half in a very short period of time, 10 years. I instantly had an idea how to apply that same concept to the rate of prison incarceration. The reason the majority of minorities wind up in prison is due to ignorance of, quote, procedural due process of law, unquote. Yes, what you don't know about the law can hang you. This is why I am still fighting to get my freedom back after illegal conviction at trial some 12 years ago. Now, suppose there was a website, free, to learn the basics of the law. This rich country has all kinds of social services for medical, food, clothing, housing, and education, but no free access to learn the law. Most criminal prosecution violating most criminal prosecutions violating your civil rights begin at initial arrest, but the average citizen is not even aware what his civil rights are. How can they be violated? Or even what an attorney is supposed to do to defend you? Here's where this small difference, the website called Learn the Law, comes in. It teaches step-by-step step what should legally happen upon arrest and from that point on. This site will blow Western law out of the water because it will have class, classes, videos, and advisors you can talk to, talk with about your legal issues. Would this site not change the entire landscape of the rate of incarceration in a very short amount of time? Yes, it would, because the racist controlled police and court system could not pull the wool over your eyes anymore. I had a textbook kangaroo court at my trial, and because I knew nothing about the trial procedures, my public defender actually conspired with the prosecutor and judge to find me guilty. The reason there is no such site as yet is because there would be a gauge now that, that the masses could use to determine if the environment is legally prosecuting you. If you know the law, the authority will not be able to abuse the law against you. It wouldn't take much to create this site. A university law department would be the ideal source to make a site like this supported by the uh, uh, deductible funds from the rich, like Magic Johnson, Oprah, and Cosby. Even Danny Glover might see the potential this will have on preventing illegal arrests and convictions. This state never had valid quote, probable cause to arrest me in the first place. I never heard that term until a year after conviction in the state prison law library. So lynching is still going on by white supremacists through ignorance of the court and law. You're dead as far as society is concerned when you're wrongly sentenced to years behind bars for crimes you did not do, a social lynching. Someone needs to get the website into reality.
I am at the final oral argument stage in the uh, South Carolina Supreme Court in my PCR appeal in November, not expecting a win. Then I can submit my writ. That may take a year or more. Retaliation is upon me now by the jail director and sheriff for a suit I had against them for punishing a detainee without due process, never given a disciplinary hearing and entrapment. I am now in a cell with my, without my legal documents and property to prevent any court action against them. Excuse me one second here. Denying a prisoner access to the courts is a huge problem for a prisoner because the prison mail department has control of the prisoner's mail going out or coming into him. This jail does not even have an outgoing legal mail log sheet to sign. So when my mail to the court never arrives, no document to show the court you sent it. So much injustice in this jail. They won't allow my girlfriend's mail to come in. I hope you will consider the two ideas. I have no funds to send you now, but if it's God's will that I am released, I will send you a large sum for the years of papers you have enlightened me with, knowledge I never knew. May God keep your strength and drive uh, to help your fellow man to insight and freedom. Your, devo your devotee, Dr. Larry J. Tyler. I mean, what gratitude, what sharing, what love, um, what strength in spite of it all. We should all be so inspired. But if you would like to send this brother some love and light, it's Dr. Larry James Tyler, 2349 Rogers Road, Darlington, South Carolina, 29532. All right, I am going to read another letter from someone in the California Men's Colony State Prison here in California in San Luis Obispo. And uh, Brian Hill is his name, and I want to, I'm reading his letter because he represents kind of the other end of the genocidal aspect of um, people being imprisoned in this country uh, um, around the number of years that we are given to um, to our youth and, and how many of our youth we are caging. And this, of course, uh, like I said, goes on the other end of the spectrum in terms of the Liberate the Caged Voices, Liberate Our Caged Elders campaign, which is focusing on uh, releasing our elders. And many of these elders have been in, have been caged since their youth. So again, just wanting to point out and highlight the genocidal nature of caging our youth and caging them for such long periods that they become elders inside. Uh, this is really an egregious uh, abuse of our human rights. And it's really the continuation of um, the crimes against humanity that is modern-day slavery taking place within our prisons. All right, so I'm going to read two letters uh, from Brian Hill. Um, the first one, he is giving us um, an idea of who he is because um, he wants to be a part of the Liberate Our Caged Elders campaign. Um, he wants to be a part of the campaign to be released. So I was just confined 
I've been caged for almost 31 years, since April 21st, 1990. I was just confined in ADSEG from July 15th, 2020 to August 20th, 2020 for a non-security housing unit and a non-district attorney referable offense because I refuse to be placed in the dormitory housing because it exacerbates the chances of me catching COVID-19 and I got asthma and other underlying medical issues. I was given a seven-year denial in 2017 as a youth offender. First time in prison, no adult record, one conviction as, as a juvenile, no history of violence, etc., in which I just exhausted my state court remedies and preparing to go to the federal district court now so I can sue that bleep once it's reversed. Sentenced to 29 years to life plus life with the possibility of parole for a first-degree murder and a first-degree attempted murder in which the judge misinstructed the jury according to a kidnapping allegation that I wasn't charged with in the felony complaint of case number BA050222 supporting this first-degree murder when kidnapping wasn't an enumerated felony of California Penal Code Section 189 in 1990 before my arrest and became one when Proposition 115 was passed in June of 1990 in which I have a writ of habeas corpus pending in the Court of Appeal, 2nd Appellate District, entitled In Re. Brian T. Hill, number BA050222. So, hell yeah, I want to be a part of this campaign. Media exposure is the best weapon, bro. The Panthers have shown us that, shown us that. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, O.J. Simpson, to Tupac. Peace and love. Signed, Free Brian Hill, H67149. All right, and here is his latest letter. Re, the false, fabricated, and misleading info about the California Department of Corrections attempts to mitigate the spread of COVID-19 in its prisons. On or about December 4th, 2020, CDCR officials elected to spread false, fabricated, and misleading statements to the public as to their alleged, quote, robust response and mitigation efforts, unquote, across the system and their implementation of, quote, testing of staff and inmates, unquote, regularly to prevent the spread of this virus, despite admitting to recording 22,000 new COVID-19 cases. Various staff, including three in the housing unit of B3 of California Men's Colony East, has tested positive for this virus on November 23rd through the 24th, 2020, and myself and the remaining prisoners in this housing unit was just tested on December 11th, 2020, and is still waiting on the results. Sorry, this letter is from December 13th. Staff of this prison has tested positive for this virus in the housing unit of C6 of this prison and in other job post positions of this prison in which the rumor has it that has resulted into 130 positive cases of COVID-19 among prisoners and possible staff in which this info was has not been disclosed to prisoners or the public by California Men's Colony Administration or by CDCR headquartered officials in Sacramento in which could easily mislead family, friends, and supporters to believe that we are all healthy and safe. These same prison officials have lied to and deliberately misled the medical experts of UC San Francisco, known as AMEND, as to the April 
to May 2020 outbreak of this virus in which it was alleged that administrative officials disclosed vital and highly important info, info, info to the Men's Advisory Council of California Men's Colony to disclose to the prisoner population in which myself and countless others were not and remained uninformed about the outbreak and was allowed to continue to work, program, etc. with the staff and prisoners that was probably infected since it was discovered that 50% of the staff refused to be tested a second time for this virus. Upon my placement in ADSEG, on June 15, 2020, because I refused to allow these staff to place myself into dormitory housing because of my asthma and this type of housing exacerbates the chances of myself catching COVID-19 and dying, an outbreak occurred on August 6, 2020 of 50 positive cases of this virus that would more than double to be positive cases within 24 hours to 282 positive cases in about a week and would result in over 306 positive cases, two deaths, if not more, and multiple hospitalizations. Upon my release from ADSEG on August 20th, 2020, to be housed in the housing unit of C6, in which is the housing unit where one of the major outbreaks occurred, to be housed around prisoners that tested positive even though I, even though I didn't, prisoners and staff, that were labeled resolved, being, quote, observed, etc. I filed a habeas corpus in the San Luis Obispo County Superior Court case number 20HC-0141, in which Judge Ginger E. Garrett ordered the warden Josie Castello and the state attorney general Javier Becerra to respond within 15 days of November 3rd, 2020, producing various information regarding the precautions instituted to prevent the spread of this virus. The transfer of prisoners into the prison and preventing the spread of this virus is, is decarceration warranted to prevent the spread of this virus. What's a safe occupancy level? What medical consultation has occurred on the safe occupancy of this prison in light of in re von stage has CMC revised its expedited release program to include prisoners over age 60 and that have served 25 years of their sentence, the number of positive cases for staff, prisoners, hospitalizations, deaths at this prison, what steps have been taken to protect prisoners and myself who, is physically, who are physically vulnerable because of age and pre-existing conditions, are there policies in place for staff and prisoners to wear masks, social distance, etc.? And if these policies being enforced, and, and if these policies being enforced, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, in which I can attest to nothing is being done to mitigate the spread of this virus in this prison, as the continuous outbreaks are showing. So I feel that it's more than imperative for prisoners family, friends, and the supporters of the decarceration movement be informed of this, of this, especially after I filed a conspiracy to violate civil rights complaint in the U.S. District Court Central District of California case number 220-CV-09984-M00-2020 against state prison officials that requires a fine or 10 years in prison in which I had to dismiss because the only entity that can bring such charges is the U.S. Attorney General in which its L.A. office, its agents, etc., has failed to act. U.S. Attorney General William Barr of Washington, D.C., etc. 
Your cooperation is appreciated. Signed, Free Brian Hill. All right. If you are just joining us, this is Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. And I am your host, Nube Brown. We have just been uh, listening to two letters that I read from folks, um, from people on the inside. And we are now going to take a musical break and come back with a family member. I want the feeling 
tonight, folks, I have with me on the line Elsie of Sisters with Voices. Elsie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So, Elsie, I want you to go ahead and just uh, tell the people who you are. Let us know about Sisters with Voices, how you came together, and, and why. Okay, so Sisters with Voices is a prison um, advocacy group where we are fighting for justice, just sentences for our um, brothers and sisters that are currently incarcerated behind the wall. Um, we know that due to our environment, we are over-sentenced a lot of times. Um, right now, we are focusing on releasing um, our advocating for the release of our loved ones that are like behind the walls trapped in cages right now. Um, and with the outbreak of COVID right now, that stands in all 32 um, facilities within CDCR is, is very imperative that we start and fight and stay fighting and stay fighting to release those um, that have served their time. Absolutely. Why, why do you feel, um, yeah, just feel free to give some commentary on why you think you're having to fight so hard to, to either get your voices heard or get the needs met of your loved ones inside. I think it's the hardest because the general public, CDCR, Gavin Newsom, the state of California is throwing out their narrative of what's going on and what they're doing to facilitate the virus and stop the spread and the infection of virus. But us as loved ones that's on the ground that see what's going on from day to day, we know that that's not true. So we're fighting against so many people that's bigger than us. <laughs> right. And so a lot of people don't want to join the fight because they're looking at it as, well, they're saying that they're doing this. And it's like, yeah, that's not even the case. You have people that tested positive way back in March and still today in December have never been retested. Oh, right. Yeah. So how, how are you working to kind of get that, uh, that narrative uh, changed up, right? I think that the biggest advocation is to expose the lies. Once you expose the lies, it can only bring forth the truth of what's happening inside. Um, because, like I said, a lot of people don't know what's really going on there. So they're just taking it, what information is being said by the media, and running with it. So we're out. We're trying to educate the community. We're doing protests. Um, we started our 24-hour welcome home bag, which is a step up to assist our brothers and sisters that do have the opportunity to be released with some essential items that they need when they return back to this community. Oh, that's fantastic. Can you talk a little bit more about that? <laughs> so we have the 24-hour welcome home bags. With the 24-hour welcome home bags, we're providing the essential needs um, for our loved ones to start to rebuild their life. We all know that upon release, individuals are given $200. $200 in today's world is equivalent to $2. It will not assist them with starting and rebuilding their life um, once they get home. So that's only going to lead them back into the life of crime. I can't advocate for your release if I'm not going to do something to keep you home. Oh, right. It's the, when, yeah, once you get home, right? Because the system is counting on recidivism, right? They're counting on those, those people coming back in. So Right. 
and I mean, right now we in right now in the United States we have to have a real ID to travel. So when you go to the DMV to get an ID, that's fifty four dollars for a real ID. For an individual that's coming home that don't have a birth certificate, that's anywhere from fourteen to twenty eight dollars for a new birth certificate. I mean, that's Social Security cards. We live our life off of a cell phone. That's another fifty dollars to a hundred dollars to get. And maintain cell phone services. So what what's out here to help you to be rebuild your life once you get here? You know, it's stressful to come home, and a lot of people don't have a place to go to. A lot of people don't have family that they're returning back home to the community to. But one thing that they can always assure is within Sisters and Voices, they'll always have a sister. Wow. And, of course, we are talking about uh, you're providing a service based on the idea that someone is being is being able to come home, that is being released, that is getting their parole dates met. Um, and we know that there are thousands of people that are just being transferred around through these prisons, continually subjected to the death sentence of COVID-19. How are you and your loved ones, uh, yeah, how are you and your loved ones faring on the inside? Because I know that Sisters with Voices is not just you, and so how are you all feeling about what your loved ones are going through? I mean, it's a, it's a very hard thing to do. I mean, it's a, I think a lot of us at some point already have picked up a coping mechanism because you don't know from day to day. Like I just said, we have outbreaks in all 32 facilities within CDCR. We have one positive case in every single facility. CDCR and why they're not doing transfers at this time is because of the state stay-at-home order. If that order wasn't in place, CDCR would be doing transfers right now as we speak, which means you're not doing nothing but shuffling people from one institution to the next institution. Shuffling them is not going to solve the problem of the stop the spread. You can't stop the spread because the system is already overcrowded, and shuffling people from institution to institution is not going to solve that problem of overcrowding. The only way that you're going to solve that problem of overcrowding is when you start releasing. You know, it's funny that they say they, they, they keep speaking on that we're at our lowest numbers because we're, we've hit under 100,000. Let's just be realistic to the point CDCR releases 30, approximately 3,500 individuals a month that have completed their time, that have paroled out. Every month, pre-COVID, you have done nothing extravagant right now. The only reason why we're under 100000 with these releases that's possibly going on is because we're not doing transfers from within the county jail. Let's keep it real and let's keep it realistic. How many people are sitting in these 57 counties within the state of California waiting to be transferred into CDCR custody? Hmm. That's real. Our numbers are then going to skyrocket. Once again, it's going to skyrocket again, and we're going to be above 100,000. Right. You have court systems. Yeah, the court systems, there's been no transfers, but people are still being sentenced daily. Exactly. And really, we sh- like you said, there shouldn't be these transfers, and they can't, and then they're trying to shuffle people around within the same prisons, and they really should just be releasing are y'all calling for uh releases not transfers we're we're calling for releases not transfers we just did a whole event on the 17th we did an event out in front of cdcr headquarters Ah. um and that is our 
motto where releases not transfers. You cannot tra- you can't continue to transfer people. Right, right. San Quentin San Quentin still stands with the highest number of deaths. Why does San Quentin have the highest number of deaths? San Quentin has the highest number of deaths because you thought that it was wise to move infected individuals from one facility to another facility. You're moving individuals Okay, so when the Von Stach um, decision came down, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place, but when the Von Stach decision came down, right, Valley State Prison had 22 cases, right? Mm-hmm. They start removing people from San Quentin, the YLP program, they started removing them from San Quentin, they started moving them to Valley State. Valley State instantly jumped up their numbers. Right. Why? There's no quarantine done. You're not you're not doing quarantine. How are you doing quarantine? Right. You're because not. you're sending them outside to go sleep on the field? Are you are you out of your mind? That is the water. And you got people sleeping outside on a field in tents? Yeah. Yeah, this is how they treat prisoners, right? That's how they that's that's so so right now because uh they have to reduce the population, San Quentin has tents set up outside on their lower yard. The people to to try to make sales one man sales, they've removed certain individuals from out of these sales. Most of them signed up because they feel that it's better to go sleep outside on in a tent because they have fresh open air. Mm-hmm. But they're they're to get them down to one man sales. They're moving people that are double sales. They're taking one of the individuals out of that sale and putting them outside in the tent. San Quentin directly sits on water. Right. That is water. We are, it, it is freezing. It's winter, exactly. <laughs> no, I hear you. I mean, but then, that, but then that takes you back to in August when the outbreak was at Folsom and we're in the middle of a heat wave and, and you right. have them sleeping outside. Right, right. So yeah. you're telling me that a strike force is building these tents and moving my loved one outside. How do you expect them to get better? Send them home. I'm I'm more than sure the 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 care that you're providing to my loved one right now, I'm sure that I can provide better care. Like you're not let me let me babysit. I can babysit. <laughs> I'm a good babysitter. <laughs> right. We I mean, because at this point that's all that you're doing. And then they keep sending out these uh, Mirandas, oh well the inmates don't wear the mask, there will be disciplinary action. But there's gonna be we're ten months into the pandemic. We're ten months in and as of December twenty first, there has just now been consequences for guards. Are you serious? Right. Right. My and husband we, is incarcerated. My husband's been incarcerated for the last 23 years. My husband tested positive for COVID-19 June 29th. He has been on the custody and care and grounds of CDCR for 23 years. And you mean to tell me he caught COVID-19 and you're going to tell me it's his fault? How did he catch it? How did he bring it to get it for himself? One of your staff members brought it into the facility because your protocols are so lax. Right. Elsie, I want to ask you, um, I, I'm going to assume that your husband, your loved one, has recovered from, from COVID. Correct. Okay. How is he doing? Because we're understanding that there are ramifications. You don't just recover. You, there's some, they're, they're, they're mitigating health problems when you catch COVID and recover from it. It's not like you just catch a cold and then you're done or how is he yeah, doing you, Do, would you like to, can you share how he's doing 
Well, when you're in a facility and you're in the care of individuals that can care less, you know, everything that I'm telling you is wrong with me, you're going to always attribute it to that's just my imagination. Uh. Um, And that's kind of what he's going through at this point. He's been telling them for months now that when he walks up and down the stairs that he's winded. Um, which means that's a shortness, that's shortness of breath still. So they tell him, oh, that's nothing, you know, it's nothing. He went to the doctor just for his little checkup and they told him that they heard wheezing in his lungs, which is a sign of asthma. He's never had asthma before in his life. Oh, wow. I'm so sorry to hear that. And of course, yeah, they're they're just... Sorry. Where's the care? Where's the care? There is no care in that. I mean, like I said, he tested positive in June. He barely got a test last month, and the only reason why he got a test is because he had a dentist appointment. And the dentist wouldn't see him without a negative test. Hmm. Jeez. Well, so I, guess. <laughs> I mean, and I don't know if you guys are, are, are looking at it, have heard about it, about the long callers. You have people that is still testing positive a hundred days later, they're still testing positive for COVID-19. Right. Right. So they don't necessarily have symptoms, but they're carriers. Correct. Because you're never, because after the 14 days, you consider my case resolved. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and how is it resolved? Because in order for me to go back onto my job, I have to produce my job a negative test. I can't go back to my job because I've cleared 14 days of quarantine. Right. Again, we can circle back around as of why you are out there fighting for your loved ones and being their voice. I'm right. so but sorry. While we're holding, but while we're holding, let's just say one more thing. While we're holding everyone else responsible, just so that all your viewers, listeners, followers know, um, not only is Kathleen Allison responsible for this, Kelso is also responsible. Kelso works for the Federal Receiver's Office, and the Federal Receiver's Office is the ones that is in charge of our loved ones' health care. Let's name everybody, and here's what, um, let, let's, let's get to this. So I'm so sorry that we uh, missed your... Um, your protest rally educational um, event that happened on the 17th. Do you have, um, so do you have another, um, another protest coming up? Um, Because we want to make sure that we can get more people there and get some more light shined on this. And also um, give us the names of the people. um, And do you on, do you want us, the listeners to make the calls, make the emails, what can we do to help? Yeah, that's that's all wonderful. We all need to hound um, our legislators, our elected officials, and they also can make change in this. When we start messing with people's jobs, see one thing that a lot of people don't understand: being a resident in the state, and being a resident and a taxpayer in the state of California thus makes you a stakeholder in CECR. Absolutely. We pay for this system. <laughs> oh, yeah, I <laughs> say it all the time. See, say that. Say that. <laughs> we we are working hard to kill our loved ones at this point. Right. We're working hard. We're barely keeping food on our table, but yet we're paying anywhere from eighty five thousand to three hundred thousand dollars per year per inmate. That's ridiculous. But yet our kids can't go to school and get a proper education. Which spelling system can make them end up where they are today? 
Exactly. So, um, we are planning, we are joining with um, No Justice Under Capitalism um, for an event at Newsom's house. Details are still being worked out, but it will be on January the 9th. Um, there will also be a caravan at Lancaster State Prison on um, Saturday that we're doing. Um, we're also, uh, next month, we'll also start a campaign for the Free Kilo G movement okay. to bring one of our other um, brothers home that has spent way too much time behind the bars. Absolutely. Do you want to talk a little bit about Kilo G, just so people can know um, in advance and um, so that we can look forward to this that, that event as well? Right. So we'll be starting the Free Kilo G movement, the Free Kilo G movement. Kilo G um, and his co-conspirator were sentenced at the ages of 20 and 21. Um, Kilo was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole for his role in the commission of the crime. Um, 21 years old, we all know that that is still an immature mind. So to sentence him at 21 to life without the possibility of parole, he's currently served 26 years in prison, which means he served more time trapped in a cage than he spent walking the streets. Um, he is the author of Tito, The Little Black Dog, which is a children's book to educate um, our little ones that it's okay not to show that you're really tough. Like, oh. it's okay to be cool, but not really tough. Okay. So Tito stands for Tough In, Tough Out. Oh, okay. Uh, can we find that that, that book? Uh, is it, uh, can we... We're, we're working to get that book out there. Okay, fantastic. Okay, Elsie, thank you so much uh, for, for, for sharing all of this. Um, really respect and appreciate the work y'all are doing. And I want you to know, and I hope the listeners know, that this is, we, this is our fight together. And uh, so what Sisters with Voices is doing and all of the coalitions that, that, you know, that they are uh, working with, that's us too, people. We're out here. We can make those calls. Find out who your legislators are. Elsie, just so you know, the people are always hearing me say, call the governor. The number is 916-445-2841. Call him and tell him to release our people now. We want them home where we can take care of them and they can take care of themselves. It's time. I mean, and they have the support that's out here. We, we, there's a community that's built, that's waiting, that's welcoming them home. So call to have them released. I guarantee you, I can promise you that what they're saying, that our streets is going to be a menace, that is not the case. A lot of these people are good people that made bad decisions. Thank you. Yes. Good people. Human beings. Hello. And CDCR, if you have to take 30 years to, quote, rehabilitate someone, you are at fault. That's a failure of this system. Period. There is no rehabilitation that's taking place within our prisons. We need our people home. All right. We need them home. <laughs> Sorry, Elsie. I'll get on my soapbox, too. <laughs> Okay, Elsie, I want to give you the last word. If there's anything else that you would like the people to know, even if you've said it before, please, um, the floor is yours. 
call your legislators, call the governors, call CDCRs, speak to Kathleen Allison, call the Federal Receiver's Office, speak to Mike Kelso, who is in charge of the care of our loved ones. And one more time, I'm going to say it, free Kilo G. Fantastic. All right, Elsie, thank you so much. This is Elsie with Sisters with Voices. Have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your day. Okay, thank you. All right, thank you too, Elsie. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, here's Imolimo from Corcoran. Okay, you there? Yes, I am. Okay, beautiful. Okay, Imolimo, let's, let's go over this again um, around uh, what happened with uh, the uh, video call being canceled because I was, of course, expecting to be able to uh, video call with you today at 1030. So tell me what happened. Well, like I said, apparently what they're doing is they only want to give us um, a 30-minute video call once a month. And we were under the impression that just that person you visit can only do it every 30 days. You can still visit other family members. But they're not, they're not honoring that. And there's nothing in writing, okay? It's just word of mouth. And then once, it's, once, it, once it happens that way, they'll start the process. And if it's not working the way that we like it, of course, we'll complain about it. And then they'll put out a memorandum through uh, the, the Mac reps and stuff. What, what's so poorly done around here is that everything with them is a test run. They want to test run everything to see if it's going to work. And, of course, when they do that, they're coming back with complaints because they don't do things effectively. Okay? And so right now, that's what we're dealing with. You know, people want to see their families. So... If you do get a video call and you have other family members at that house, they're going to ask the family member who's approved to visit you to show their ID. Then they're going to connect you onto that visit. So that person who's approved, they can walk around the house and let you see and speak briefly to other people, which is a good thing. But only being able to do that every 30 days is it, kind of hard. You know, it's, it's hard, especially when it's times like these with this pandemic. And, you know, according to the newest programs, we're hearing all this spike in cases, even though there's a vaccine. You know, people in here are worried about our loved ones out there just as much as you all are worried about us. So that, that, that's what's going on right now. We're, we're going to have another fight with this until we can get it right. That's all. Well, let me ask you this. Um, one of the things that popped out that you said is that nothing is in writing. And I, I feel like there's so much more to that that you just said in terms of how CDC are small r operate because they seem to be able to just run willy-nilly um run things as they want whether it's um whether it's protocol or not whether there are policies in place they just seem to be able to make these decisions on their own without any kind of accountability is that what i'm hearing Yes, 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 most definitely. They will always do that because what they've done is the guard union has most of y'all to say so. The guard union can be regular guards, lieutenants, captains, uh, IGI, ISU, SSU, some wardens, you know, so their union is pretty strong. And because of it, they get away with doing a lot of things. Cor this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. For one thing, Corcoran is one of them that I'll tell you in a minute. We don't operate like every other CDC prison. We do our own thing. And nine times out of ten, when you file 602s against Corcoran, you're going to win before you even make it to the third level because of that, that, pro that problem. Once you get to Sacramento, it's like it, it's as if they get noticed 
and the people in Sacramento say, hey, what's wrong with Corbin? Why aren't you guys following these protocols this and other? And they'll come up with whatever excuse they come with. But the winning audience gets so too challenging, Corbin, because just like you said, they do things without any accountability. And they've been playing that game, uh, I want to say, since the beginning. I mean, they played it the whole time I was in the shoe here, and that was for 13 straight years, you know. So no matter what warden they have, what captain they have, however they change the guards around, they still play that same game as if you walk into their their, their interrogation rooms where they got the rules and regulations and they say, do what you want, how you want, damn the next person's feelings, uh, act as inhumane as possible, you know. And they do just that, you know. So... Yeah, we don't have this in writing just yet. Um, it hasn't it hasn't surfaced, but I'm sure after about the next couple of weeks, the more complaints they get, then yeah, they'll have something in writing stating how it's going to be. It's set in stone, why it's that way, and things of that nature. Right, but that's a fight, obviously, you all have to take when it's really supposed to be a policy that's put in place. Because visitation is supposed to be a part of the CDC's small R rehabilitation program. Right, 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 right. And, and they use the, uh, it, it seems to me that they're also using the excuse of COVID to, uh, to deny the visiting, they've closed everything down, and yet then when it comes to making sure that y'all are safe in there, then yeah. COVID doesn't really yeah. matter, right? They don't really, exactly. okay. So, and then w with this complaint, with, with now suffering the the pain of not being able to visit with your people. Hold, hold, hold on one sec. Hey, sis, they're, they're cutting us off right now. They just brought in a sergeant and a lieutenant. I think complaints are going to start being uh, uh, adhered to right now. I see a few of the MACRIPs talking and a few other inmates, and they're, they're getting us off, off the phones right now. I think program has stopped. We, we're going to have to continue this. I'll try to continue it tomorrow morning. All right, beautiful people, that is our show. I am going to wish you the most beautiful new year. I hope it is filled with the possibilities of love and community and the shared humanity that is going to be so necessary for us to move forward. And let's not forget the continued growth and care of our mind, body, and spirit. All right. Next up is going to be Steve Seltzer with, if, with Workweek, and they are going to be having a panel discussion on the racial discrimination uh, within the San Francisco Health Services System. Malik Washington, the editor of the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper, will be a part of that panel discussion. Please continue also to give to KPOO San Francisco 89.5. We need this station. And I'm going to have to say, if you can share the wealth, please kick some down for the beautiful California Prison Focus at www.prisons.org.